Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard-to-recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, everybody. I think I'm on now. How are you guys doing this evening? Let's see here. Perfect. I think I'm on. Hey, everybody. My name is Kyle Jetzel. And I am the self-proclaimed driven autism dad. I've even got it on my T-shirt here. It looks like it's backwards, but you guys get the idea, right? So I just want to start by saying I'm looking forward to your questions and comments. Uh, We're live right now on Facebook. You guys probably don't know this. YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. If you do have questions for me, uh, please uh, put those questions in and Just so you'll know, next week, this will be available as a free download wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Like I said, my name is Kyle Jets. I think what I'll do probably is just introduce myself a little bit and kind of talk about who I am and and maybe why you should even care, right? So um, my name is Kyle Jets. I'm the Driven Autism Dad. I am the father of six kids. My two oldest sons are typical boys. I have two middle sons. Uh, I have one son that's my one of my my number three son is more severe, and then I have fifteen uh, year old twins. My two oldest sons are married now, living out. Hey everybody, I think I'm back. <laughs> I think I'm back. Um, it looks like I'm on all the different feeds, so that looks good. So let me just get back into. I am back. Okay, I've just gotten word. I am back. So sorry about that. Wouldn't you know it? I would be the one that this happens to. Interestingly enough, uh, one of my sons, uh, my son who's more severe, likes to watch movies late at night. Right here, in, I'm, I'm in Boise, Idaho, and it is now 12.06 a.m., uh, and things started happening on my computer, and I realized pretty quickly that the internet was having problems because my son, my more severe son, screamed out loud in his room. <laughs> and that means he was probably streaming something on TV. And it shut down on him and it frustrated him. So he came down, running down. I heard him coming down the stairs and I had to manage that situation real quickly. So just like many of you that are raising kids on the autism spectrum, there are moments where we have to jump right into action and where we have to take care of things like real time. And just so happens that while I'm on this podcast, that's exactly what happened, right? We had a little issue with the internet. Uh, It flickered and it frustrated my son. So he had to express that. Luckily, we were able to get him calm back down pretty quickly, and he's back up there. I think he's okay now watching the movie he was watching. I don't know what it is. Probably probably a superhero movie. But I will get back to it now. So let me tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, like I said, I'm the father of six. I have two sons uh, on the autism spectrum. 
Uh, they're right in the middle of my family. My two oldest sons are married and live away now. Uh, and my and I have 15 year old twins. Uh, so it's, that's an interesting story in itself, because when my my first two sons were born, my wife, she's always wanted a girl. And so we had another baby and it was a boy and we had another baby. It was a boy. So we had four sons and uh, still no little girl. And at that point, my wife said to me, you know, maybe we were just meant to have boys. Right. And so we stopped even thinking about kids for six years. And uh, in year six, my wife came up to me one evening and she said, you know what? I think we, we should try one more time for a girl. And so we talked about it. We decided that was a good idea. A couple of months later, she was pregnant and it turns out it was twins. <laughs> now, you can imagine my fear when I thought we'd have two more boys. Right. And I'll never forget when they they did the sonogram. We found out one was a girl. We were so thrilled, both of us. So we do have our little girl. She's the youngest of all of them. Five sons, one daughter. And as you can imagine, she can take care of herself pretty well. She's not only spoiled and very feminine, but she's also pretty tough. She's She's one of those little girls, right? So anyway, um, I'm gonna, I'll jump right back into, uh, you know, when my wife and I were raising our first two sons, we were very, it was very important for us. We talked a lot about this, about, you know, being being very studious as parents, right? We, we read a lot of books and we had developed some, some strategies and some tactics that we thought were working well. And our two, our two typical boys were just like any other typical boys, right? Full of energy. Uh, and they were boys, right? And they were doing, we seemed to be doing pretty well. We kind of had some things in order and our lives were kind of moving in a certain direction. And we could see the trajectory was really kind of what we wanted the trajectory of our family to be. And uh, then our number three son came along. His name is Eric. And things started to change dramatically. Uh, he started to miss um, different um I don't know the word marks that he was supposed to hit as a young, as a little boy and um, started getting behind and really didn't talk at all. And uh, we, we kind of started getting concerned, but then as he, as he turned three and four and the behavior started to ramp up, my wife and I kind of thought we'd lost all ability to parent. You know, our first two sons, we were having pretty good success. They were pretty well behaved. I mean, they were energetic boys, which we expected that. But we seemed to have things going pretty well. Then Eric came along and it seemed like we had no answers for the outbursts and the behaviors. And, you know, he wasn't talking. And so at about four years old, we finally had somebody come to us and say, have you ever considered having him tested for autism? And we were kind of surprised by this because he's 23 now. So this was what, almost 20 years ago. And back then, the landscape was different, right? The only thing we knew of autism that long ago was, at least my wife and I, was autism was was a, a child sitting in a wheelchair stemming. That's really all we knew. We didn't know there was a spectrum. It was all new to us. Hey, I'm getting some mess, some questions here. Perfect. I'll jump into those. But And so we, we thought we'd lost all ability to parent. And I remember when they said autism, I thought, you know what? We, we got to do something, right? Because we're we're losing our abilities to do anything. And, and we started to become more isolated because of the outbursts and the meltdowns and all the things that we didn't know what was going on. So we finally had him diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And I remember 
that my wife and I, there was a sense of relief for us initially, right? Because we thought, well, now finally we know what's going on and we can get him the help he needs, right? And we can get back to our typical family, right? We can, we can learn how to manage this in a way that allows him to, uh, to thrive ultimately. Uh, and, and I remember as we, as we stepped into the world of autism, we did everything the experts told us to do. The doctors and the experts, uh, you know, there was, I won't go into all of it, but, you know, anything you can do, therapies and ABAs and anything you can do, we did. I mean, we even, I remember at one point, one of the doctors said that we could we could box up some of his poop and send it over to France to be diagnosed. We even did that. So we were kind of desperate to figure things out. And and even though we were doing that and spending and, and trying everything, we were still struggling at home. And we were struggling with, with the behaviors, with the meltdowns, with the overstimulation. Uh, and, and it was really, really stressful. Um, and we, and we kind of found ourselves, I would call it on an autism roller coaster. And I, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this before, right? So, uh, I'll never forget my wife, uh, took a day trip with some friends and, and Eric was left with me for the whole day. And so I made it a goal to get him to say, I love you to his mom. <laughs> That was my goal. I had about nine hours and I thought, I'm just going to work with this little sucker all day long. And when his mom gets home, he's going to say, I love you. And he had never really said anything like that. He, he barely spoke any words at all. Most of his communication was nonverbal and he was diagnosed that way. And so um, she, when she got home that day and I prompted him and he, and I'll never forget when he said, I love you to her. I mean, she cried and the, I cried and we were so excited, so happy. And it was such a great event for us. You know, the love was so overwhelming for him and for that situation. Well, less than a week later, uh, he, in a fit of rage, he found uh, some knives in the kitchen and made a run at my wife and I. And so, you know, that, that roller coaster, the highs of experiencing those things that we didn't know we'd ever experience was the lows were just as low, right? Or I'll never forget, the, the other thing that comes to mind immediately was the time, so we had difficulty potty training our sons. Uh, and at one point, uh, my son, more severe son, Eric, was nine years old, still in diapers. His little brother, who's, who's more high-functioning autism, was seven years old, still in diapers. And at that point, we now had our twins, our two little baby twins, newborns in diapers. And we had diapers everywhere. It was so frustrating because we couldn't see them. We tried everything. I have four books on potty training. I had tried every strategy in the book, and we just couldn't get, couldn't get him potty trained. And I'll never forget the day we finally got him potty trained. And I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and we just burst into tears because we finally did it, right? We had been working so hard at this. And it was just the happiness and the joy was overwhelming. And then within uh, less than a week later, uh, and he melted down really bad and got angry and um, started tearing up his room, breaking things, and ended up smashing his head through a plate glass window. And I, I remember sitting in the hospital, holding him tight, right? Imagine this, a nine-year-old. You know how strong they are, by the way. 
because they were stitching up his head because he had smashed his head through a plate glass window. And just thinking to myself, you know, the highs are high, right? The good times are good, but these, these lows are super low and they're so frequent that the daily meltdowns and those kind of things were just putting us under tremendous stress. Uh, and it was, it was creating a world where my wife and I were kind of combating each other. We, we were, you know, she had one, initially we were on the same page, but when Eric came along, it was so hard, right? It was, he was so defiant, so different. It was almost like we were asked to take a test. Um, raising him was like taking a test that we didn't know we had to take. And it was for a class that didn't exist. Right. And so, um, we were lost. We didn't know what to do. And, uh, we were, and it was kind of creating some friction between my wife and I, my two oldest typical sons would hide when he had meltdowns, they would just disappear and hide and lock their door to get away from it. And so, um, we were really on this autism roller coaster. And I, and I remember thinking at one point, you know what, it, the highs are high, but the lows are so low. It's almost like, you know, you have a level ground here that you're working with. And every time we'd have a high, we'd go above level. But every time we have a low, we'd stay so low. It was like we were, we were digging this ditch that kept getting deeper and deeper because it was so much stress. And, you know, about that time, I remember finding an article that said that, uh, Raising a child on the autism spectrum, the stress can be compared to that of a combat soldier, the, the PTSD. And we were feeling that, you know, and I, and, and I know as we looked around and started connecting with other families, and this is back before Facebook and before a lot of the social media, there was the Internet and, and online. It was typically forums that you could join autism forums. So that's how long ago it was. We started getting on these autism forums and, and we started to discover many, many families were just like us, right? They were living under tremendous stress uh, and it was uh, causing problems in their families as well. Uh, but I'll never forget the day that really it all changed for me. And I, I decided to become the Driven Autism Dad. And, th and that's where I'm getting with this story is it was a Saturday morning. It was probably about 6.30 a.m. And we were awakened that morning by this blood-curdling scream from Eric. And you know the kind of scream I'm talking about. When you're watching a horror flick and, you know, that scream that you hear, that's the kind of scream that woke us up at 6.30. And Eric went into this tremendous meltdown. And we, did, we really didn't know what was going on. You know, uh, typically meltdowns can last anywhere from, you know, five minutes to 90 minutes at the most. This one was a four hour meltdown. And every time we thought we were getting him calmed back down, he would ramp back up. And so we found ourselves in the middle. Of, it felt like it was it felt like, uh, you know, a hurricane was hitting the house at the same time. There was an earthquake, you know, while it was being flooded. Uh, yeah, that, Eric, that is the kind of scream I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I think we all know that scream, right? We didn't know if it was a missing puzzle piece or, you know, a missing Lego piece or he was in pain or really what it was. But no matter what we tried to do, we couldn't really get him calmed back down. And and so it was. And so my my two older sons at this point had locked themselves in their room to avoid any damage. My wife and I were trying our best. 
he had thrown some heavy objects at both of us and, and, you know, busted a door down. And, and remember, he's still pretty young at this point. I want to say maybe six or so. And when we finally got him calmed back down, I remember just, we were exhausted. It's 1030 on a Saturday morning and our day is shot. We're exhausted. We're overwhelmed with stress. You know, Eric, once he's done, he goes back in there playing quietly in his room with no problems, right? The rest of the family is completely out of sorts. And I remember, uh, I think sometimes when we're put under that kind of stress, I think sometimes we look for somebody to blame. And in this case, you know, I think my wife and I kind of turned on each other as, as terribly as that is to say. And I think a lot of a lot of parents face this, right? You want to blame somebody and you really don't know who to blame. So you just kind of turn on each other, turning on the person you love the most, right? Your spouse. And we started saying, you know, I remember she said, if you would just show him more love, if you would have done this, maybe he wouldn't have ramped up. And I said, well, if you, if he had more discipline in his life, if you gave him more discipline, maybe, maybe we could solve this. And so it was, we just started hurtling these insults back and forth. And typically, you know, that would be short-lived. I mean, we would have these arguments over the situation and how to handle it. But typically, we would kind of get through that pretty quickly and try to resolve it together and get back to normal. But this time, it wasn't happening. And we were at each other's throats. And I remember thinking this isn't going to end well. You know, it's, she's not backing down. I'm not backing down. And so I grabbed my keys and I put them in my pocket. And uh, I walked out the, in the front yard just to cool down. And at the time, we lived on a little ranch, uh, a little five-acre place in, just outside of Dallas in a little town called uh, Rocket, Texas, just south of Dallas. Those of you that are familiar with that area may not know the town of Rocket, but you'd know Red Oak and Waxahachie. It's in that general area. And I walked out on the front porch, and I saw my car there, and I thought, you know what? This isn't what I signed up for. Uh, this is not the way I saw my life going and my family growing. And I can't take this anymore. And for a moment, I looked at that car and I thought, I'm going to get in that car and I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. I got to start somewhere else. This, is, this isn't working. And right about that time, I remember a memory that my, of a lesson my dad had taught me when I was about 11 or 12 years old, popped into my head. And, and the memory I had pop into my head was when I was about 11 or 12, I was playing baseball in a little league team and I was playing shortstop and there was two outs in the last inning. So we just needed to get one out and the game would be over and we would win. We were ahead in the score. Well, the guy hit the ball to me. All I had to do was make the play and get him out and we win but I didn't. I, I fumbled the ball. I made an error and that kid got on base. And then the next kid got a hit and the next kid got a hit. And then they started rally and they ended up scoring more runs and they ended up winning the game. And after the game was over, I was just distraught. You know, this is the worst thing in the world that can happen to an 11 year old, 12 year old little boy who loves baseball, which I did. So I went over to my dad and I was almost apologetically because it was my fault. We lost because of me. And I said to him, you know what, Dad, um, I wish the ball hadn't been hit to me because then maybe we could have won. 
And I'll never forget what my dad said in that exact moment. Uh, my dad said, you know what, Kyle? That's not the way we do things. He said, you don't ever want to leave your success or failure in anybody else's hands. You want to be the reason for success or failure. He says, you're not going to succeed every time, but you always want to work hard so that you can succeed at whatever you're doing. But don't ever go down without the biggest fight you can give. He said, in baseball, you want to prepare yourself so you're ready for every ball, every game to be hit to you. He said, take responsibility and go practice and get better so that you're comfortable in that situation. And it was, it, and that's the memory that popped into my mind. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I can't leave. I've got to take responsibility for solving this. And I'm not leaving and I'm not going down without the biggest fight I can go, I can, I can have. And so in that moment, I thought to myself, but I don't know what to do, right? We've done everything, everything and more that the experts and the therapists that asked us to do, we had done. And we were still struggling with what I called at-home autism challenges, right? We'd send him to these therapies and he would get a lot of help and they would do great work with them. The ABAs and the, the therapies and, and all these people were working hard and he, we could see him having success in the areas that they were helping him in. But we were still at home. It was still stressful and overwhelming and, you know, frequent overwhelming meltdowns. And, you know, we struggled through, um, we struggled through rage and violence and biting and kicking and screaming and breaking iPads, not iPads, but TVs back then. Uh, just a lot of the, a lot of those things that happen in, in severe autism, you know, through a lack of communication or, or getting overstimulated very frequently. And so, um, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, what can I do, though? I've tried everything. And so that I decided at that moment, I thought, you know what, I'm I'm going to. I'm going to do something else my dad taught me to do, and that's when you don't know what to do, just pray. Right. And I don't know if you're religious or not, or it's it's something that you're interested in. But, you know, there's there seems to be some sort of divinity that's always willing to help us no matter what, if we're religious or not. And so I, I went under the under we had a big giant pecan tree in our front yard. And so I just went under this pecan tree and just fell to my knees and just started praying to God, what do I do? Right. I've tried everything. We're still struggling in our home. The stress is overwhelming. My wife and I aren't getting along. Our, our, our relationship is at a breaking point. My two oldest typical sons are struggling because they're living in this chaotic situation that, you know, we that's our world. Um, and I remember thinking to myself and feeling like the answer was pretty clear. And the answer was, you know, don't leave. You can figure this out, right? Make it your purpose to figure this out. Make it your purpose. Become a driven autism dad, right? Driven to figure this stuff out and to create a world where not only my son who's on the spectrum can thrive, but my wife and I can thrive and my typical boys, right? Create a world where we can live in happiness and joy even as we manage these things that come with autism. And I also remember feeling this and I don't tell a lot of people this, but I'm just going to share it is I remember feeling like God told me the problem is not your wife and the problem is not your typical kids. And it's not your sons on the spectrum. 
the problem is you. Fix you. And I thought, golly, God, you don't understand. I mean, I'm a victim here, right? <laughs> I didn't ask for this, right? There's all these things happening that we just don't know how to manage. And, but I, but I took that to heart and I thought, you know what? That's the good news is I, I remember when I was a kid one time, I got into an argument with one of my brothers and I complained to my mom about it. And I said, well, he's doing this and he's doing that. And she said, you know what? The only person you can change is you. You can't change anybody else but you. And I thought, you know, if, if, if me's the only person I can change, that's good because I can change me. Right. And so that's, that is when I decided to become the driven autism dad. I was driven to figure out how to become the man I needed to be so that I could, could leave my family and create a world where my wife could be happy and thrive and manage the situation better. And I could manage the situation better. How my typical boys could be happy and feel loved and, you know, respected and, and encouraged in our, in our home and not just hide from, from the chaos and how I could lower stress for my son who, who's on the spectrum. And I, you know, I, I recalled at one point seeing something that said something like, you know, when, when our kids, our kids don't need us to join in their chaos, right? We need to, we need to stand above the chaos and calm things for them. And so I made it my purpose. That became my purpose is to become a driven autism dad and become driven to figure this stuff out, you know? And so that's kind of where we came from. And that was kind of the day it all changed for me because I started really taking responsibility. I think, I think prior to that, I had been passing off our family's happiness to the experts and to the therapists, thinking that they would solve our at-home problems. And, you know, so, so that was kind of the first thing I did is I kind of started going to these different places and saying, hey, what is your objective here with my son? What? I mean, I'm sending him to you. He, he seems to be getting better in these certain areas, but we're still having struggles at home, right? And and it was it became very clear to me that that they had very specific, clear objectives. For some reason, I had mistaken it that they were going to solve my at home problems, right? And and they and very clearly, I, I came to understand that's not what they do, right? They help all these therapies and and um, and experts were there to help him in different areas of his life. And a lot of that was communication. Uh, but still, it was it was up to us to lower stress in our own home and to learn how to manage those different situations. So um, that was the day it all changed for me. And I, I kind of I kind of went on this quest. And I remember uh, I walked back into the house after being under that pecan tree. And I think my wife was still mad at me at the time. And and you'll have to, I apologize if I get a little emotional when I talk about my wife. She, My wife passed away uh, about 18 months ago after 30 years of marriage. And, and we had created what I would consider to be a top 1% happy marriage. We went from the brink of disaster and, you know, breaking up to, learning how to manage things and created a world where we were in a top 1% happy marriage. And my, my family still to this day is a top 1% happy family. So 
when I talk about my wife, it might be a little tricky for me, but I remember walking in after being under that pecan tree and telling my wife, I'm not leaving. This isn't what I signed up for, but I'm not leaving. And I, I'm, I'm going to be driven to figure this out for, for our family. I'm, I want to restore happiness and joy in our family. I want to figure out how to lower stress. And I'm going to, I'm not quitting until I figure this stuff out. And I remember at the time, I think my wife was still a bit, uh, a little frustrated with me. We'd just gotten this big argument and she said, well, we'll see how that goes. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure at that point she had the faith in me that I, I guess I just had immediately, I knew that I was going to figure this stuff out. Uh, and I, if I didn't, I was going to die trying. I was, to me, it seemed like something that was worth doing for however long it took. And so, um, I kind of made it my quest and I'm going to share a little bit of that. Some of the things that I learned uh, along that and invite you to join me in some other areas. So um, one of the things, it wasn't long after that, you know, when you start searching for answers, it almost seems like answers come, right? And so I, I remember thinking, how do you lower stress? You know, how do you lower stress when you, when you have a son that's nonverbal, that's severe, that's having all these these issues that are just so outside of the norm, right? Reading a parenting book and trying to apply that to, to him was out the window. The, the book didn't exist, right? I mean, I looked for it. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen a book called, and maybe I'll write it. And I've written a couple of books, but maybe I need to write one called How to Parent Your nonverbal, severe autistic son, right? I don't know. I don't know, but that didn't exist. And so I kind of thought, I'll, I'm going to, I'm just going to create the curriculum. I'm going to figure stuff out. And I'll never forget, not long after that, I was reading a Sports Illustrated article. I'm a, I'm a big fan of sports. And I learned of a gentleman by the name of Alex Honnold. And Alex Honnold is what they call a free solo climber. And so what he does is he climbs mountains and cliffs with no ropes. <laughs> and I want you to think about that for a second. That's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Mountain climbers climb with ropes for a reason. And the reason is because if they slip, they don't die. If they have a rope connected to them, it catches them. And so they can make mistakes and slip and still be alive. Well, Alex Honnold climbs these same mountains and cliffs, sheer cliffs. You know, he climbed El Capitan in uh, one of the state parks near here. It's like a 2,000 foot sheer granite cliff with no ropes, right? And this was fascinating to me because I'm thinking how this is impossible. How can a human being do this? And so I started reading about his story and, and he, he talked about how he had a pattern that he thinks helped him to stay alive. And by stay alive, I mean stay alive, right? Because think about that. If he makes one mistake, he's climbing a, a two, 3,000 foot cliff. If he makes one mistake, he dies. That's it. It's over. And so he said he wasn't the strongest guy in the world. And he said he wasn't the greatest technician climber. 
He said, but there was three things he did very specifically that he thought he was that he would thought helped him to to maintain and continue to climb without without slipping and dying, right? Without making mistakes. And he said the first thing that he decided to do was get trained. Okay. So he number one is get trained. Alex Honnold says you got to get trained and you got to be able to make every move in the book, right? And this is fascinating to me. And 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 we need to be trained on the right stuff, right? And he says the second thing is he says you got to make one good decision at a time. And I want you to think about that because if you look up at the side of a mountain, there's probably he probably has to make five thousand decisions, right, to climb this cliff. But he doesn't think about all five thousand. He thinks about one, the next one, right? He doesn't look up and see a ledge a hundred feet above him and say, "How I'm going to get to that ledge." What he does is he says, how am I going to, what's my next move? Just my next move. And he only focuses on that one thing and then stacks, right? He focuses on one move, make sure that's perfect. Then he focuses on the next move and make sure that's perfect. And then he, the next one and make sure that's perfect. And then uh, the third thing he does. So first thing is he gets trained. Number two is to make one good decision at a time. And then number three is don't freak out. He said there have been times where he has put his hand into a, a crack in the, the mountain and twisted it to lock himself in. I don't know much about mountain climbing, but I, the little bit I do know is they're able to climb these cliffs because they can lock themselves into spots and they always have three points of their body against the wall at all times. There's different things they do. And I'm lear- I just learned this from watching his, his movie. It's called Free Solo. Uh, and he said there have been times where he's put his hand into a, into a, uh, you know, a crack in the, in the mountain and twist it in. And there's been dew there from the previous night, like, you know, ice melting and, and his hand has slipped and he says, but he doesn't freak out. Right. And he says, that's the key. I don't freak out. Or he says on multiple occasions, he's put his hand into a, a crack and spiders have bitten him or animals have bitten his fingers and he doesn't freak out. Right. And so his three steps are very clear, right? Get trained, number one. Number two, make one good decision. And number three, don't freak out. And, and he said, these were his words, you can do a lot of really hard things if you follow those three steps. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Now, like I know something really hard, right? Raising a severe son on the autism spectrum who has behavioral problems, who melts down, who has... Uh, gets overstimulated very easily, uh, has has unlimited energy, uh, has, uh, let me see a co- some of the other things he did. Um, there was no self-regulation. There was no line he wouldn't cross, right? All of us seem to have this line we don't cross because it's dangerous. He would, he would cross lines like they weren't even there. There was nothing he wouldn't try. He had no fear. And so it was really difficult. And I thought, you know, I wonder if that's the formula. Get trained, make one good decision at a time, and don't freak out, right? So I thought the first step is to get trained. You know, so I started looking for training. And there's tons of parenting books out there. And I thought, you know what? This is a unique situation. Probably what I should do is start with with, with good, solid foundational principles for raising kids and then and then manipulate those a little bit, right? To meet the, the needs of our family. So I came up with a formula and it's a framework 
that I started using to create strategies for our family that helped us to start to turn the tide. And I'll share one of those with you in a minute after I share this framework. But I want to share this framework with you because I've got it on a piece of paper right here next to me, but I want to share it with you. Uh, and, it, and it follows that pattern of get trained, make one good decision, and don't freak out. And the pattern goes like this, right? So step one is to identify the challenge in writing, right? So one of the issues we were having with him was, was his meltdowns were very frequent. Uh, they were loud. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes in public, they were flat out embarrassing. Uh, you know, people would stare. There was a lot of stuff going on. We, we got to where we wouldn't go places. You know, we wouldn't take him to the park because he might run into the street across from the park. He would just take off running or he might melt down because there's too many people around him or or maybe a swing wouldn't work the way he wanted to. And he would he would uh, go into a fit of rage. Right. So we quit going to the park or we'd go to the movies and, and maybe the movie was too loud and it would he would get overwhelmed and melt down. We quit going to the movies. Uh, we'd go to a friend's house and he would, you know, smash a piece of their furniture or something because he had no line. He wouldn't cross. And so we quit getting invited to these families' houses. And we, we found ourselves becoming more and more isolated, afraid to take him anywhere. Uh, you know, go to the grocery store was out of the question. I mean, if you take him to the grocery store, he's going to find something he wants. And if he doesn't get it, he's going to scream bloody murder. Right. And this is where we were at at this moment. And this was causing us. This was a challenge, right? And we thought, so we wanted to identify the challenge and what was, you know, what was happening and really write out all the different things that were challenging about his meltdowns. So the next step is, is a, in my formula, and I've got it right here. I'll show it to you. Uh, you're not going to be able to read it, but maybe it'll help you see it a little clearly. I think some people are more visual. So I would write out the challenge over in the slot right here. Just write out all the things that caused it. Over here, I would write out the ideal solution, okay? And I would I would dream about what, how we would handle it better, right? My son had meltdowns, and I didn't know if they would ever stop. It was part of his makeup at that moment. And so I didn't want to, I didn't, my strategy wasn't to stop him from it. My strategy was to handle it in a way that would lower his stress, lower our stress, and allow us to get back to, you know, typical family things that we wanted to do. Going to the movies, going to the park, you know, going to the grocery, taking him to the grocery store, right? And so I would write out the ideal solution, you know, that we could go to friends' houses, we could go to the park, you know, we could do all these things. And then the next step was to, to write out a strategy or name a strategy. And I decided to name this strategy Winning Every Meltdown. Because I wanted to, I want, I knew I couldn't change him, but I could change me, right? And I wanted to change me and I wanted to manage it so well that I could lower his stress, lower the family stress. And so I, I, I called it winning every meltdown is what I called the strategy. And then I wrote out my tactics and the steps that I would take to do this, to win the meltdown. And so right now I'm going to share that with you and you're going to like this. And I'm going to, if you've got a piece of paper and a pencil and you want to take notes, now's the time, right? So I'm going to share with you my strategy called winning every meltdown. And I created an acronym for this and it's, it's the acronym is AP 
W-E-C. I'm sorry for my, I know I have a Texan accent. I grew up in Dallas and I have what I call a ghetto Texas accent. I kind of grew up in inner city Dallas. So I'm going to try to be clear when I say that. A-P-W-E-C. It sounds like APWAC. You know the duck that quacks? The AFLAC duck? Well, this is an easy way to remember. APWAC. A-P-W-E-C. So the A stands for assume. And I should, and and assume there will be meltdowns, right? This was, this was extremely helpful for me because I used to go out there walking around on my tiptoes hoping he didn't have one, right? And when he did, I would get frustrated or discouraged or even angry, right? Or why now? Or why me? Or can't we ever just go a day without a meltdown? And I could see I was losing my patience. So the first one was to assume you would have a meltdown. Don't be surprised. But, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm surprised at parents. They seem so surprised when their kids have meltdowns. They do. That's what happens, right? So let's, let's change our approach to that and assume they will have meltdowns. So that's the first step. Don't be surprised anymore. Come on. Why are we surprised? So the uh, APWAC, the P in APWAC is prepare yourself. When they do have a meltdown, whether it's behavioral because they don't get their way or whether it's overstimulation, it doesn't matter. This formula will still work. The P stands for prepare yourself. And what I mean by that is prepare yourself mentally, right? Go into it saying, I can handle this, right? And I'm going to handle it well. And I'm going to help my son or my daughter lower their stress. My goal is to go in there with the right attitude mentally and say, I can handle this. I'm going to do a great job. And then prepare yourself physically, right? I don't know if you've ever approached something hard or something you were good at. You stand up straight and tall, right? And you focus in on what you need to do and your your body language is good, right? So the P, assume there will be, will be meltdowns. P is to prepare yourself mentally and physically to win. And that's the W in APWEC. And let me tell you how you win every meltdown. You win with patience and kindness and love, right? By By helping them to lower stress, right? When your kid's have meltdowns, whether it's behavioral or whether it's overstimulation or whatever it is, they don't need you joining in the chaos. He didn't need me frustrated or angry or discouraged, right? All I was doing was adding to the fire. Uh, And it was, frankly, it was exhausting, right? But when I made a decision to win the meltdown through kindness, right, and love and, uh, and support, it changed the way I approached it. Right. And I decided no matter how long this takes, and that's the E in APWEC, is endure and have energy. OK. And, and what I mean by that is whether the meltdown lasts five minutes or two hours, I'm going to stay in my happy zone mentally. I'm going to stay in a loving kind. I'm not going to join in the chaos. I'm going to be above it. And I'm going to win through kindness and love and patience and support. Um, and, and what that does is it doesn't require as much of your energy. If you're frustrated or discouraged or angry and you start yelling, it requires a tremendous amount of energy and you lose that energy in that encounter and you escalate it and make it worse. Right. You know, one of the things that I've become an expert at is when my son is upstairs and I hear him bang something or scream, it means he's frustrated. Right. And I'll run up there and I say, Eric, are you okay? And I say it in such a calming way now that he immediately calms, right? Now, I've been doing this for years, by the way. 
And so he didn't always call, right? But as I've handled it better and better, he is handling it better and better. I model, when he gets frustrated or angry, I model the kind of behavior I want him to have. I want him to learn regulation because he sees me in those heightened situations regulate myself. And that's a powerful thing that we're teaching our kids is to learn to regulate their emotions. You know, I had a parent recently I was talking to, I was helping out with, and I, and I was telling him about this. You got to win through kindness and patience and love. And, and it takes less energy if you're kind and patient and loving. And it's easier to, to de-escalate the situation. And this mom said, well, you don't understand. My kid's screaming and yelling. And I said, I get it. Right. I, I know. And she said, I can't. You're asking me to be loving and kind and patient while they're screaming at me. How am I supposed to do that? And I said, well, it sounds like you can't manage your emotions. You can't regulate your emotions in that moment. <laughs> and you could see the light bulb go off, right? And she said to me, you're right. And I said, how can you teach your son to manage himself and regulate his emotions when you can't do it? When you're joining in the chaos, right? You've got, and I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. But you've got to go into this thing knowing you're going to win through kindness and patience and love. And it's going to give you that energy. You're not going to be fighting fighting, fighting and uh, frustration and discouragement and anger. And it all takes so much energy. But when you stand back and you say, I'm going to help you through this, bud, we'll, we'll figure this out. Right. Even if they've got their fist balled up and, hey, it's OK. You know, I'm, I'm here for you. We're going to figure this out. Right. And, uh, and it really does work. And, and I, I would challenge you to try this and watch how you are able to stay above it, right? So now that we got the APWE for energy and endure, the C is to celebrate, okay? When you do what's right, when your son or daughter has difficulties and you apply this APWAC, assume they will have difficulties, prepare yourself mentally and physically, win through kindness and love and patience, Endure and have energy and get that energy. Don't waste that energy on anger or frustration or discouragement. You should celebrate and you'll feel great about what you're doing, right? For me, when I walk out of the room and I've handled it and he's calmed back down, and he's doing great. And we've, I've hugged him. He doesn't hug me back. He doesn't care for me right now. <laughs> but I walk out of that room and I give it. Yes, yes, I know, right? I did the right thing. I feel great as a parent. I feel like I'm, I am the driven autism dad. I feel like I'm doing what's right for my son and I'm modeling the behavior that I want from him. And over time, over a period of time, they start to pick up on this stuff, right? When we change our patterns, they start to change their patterns. They start, start to see us modeling the kind of behavior we want. Now, I'll share a couple of stories about how this app like has changed our life dramatically. Uh, I'll never forget. Initially, I didn't share this. This this strategy was unique to me. And it, and I remember one Saturday morning, we were all going to go to the park, and uh, Eric had a meltdown upstairs. And I, and I said, I got this, and I ran up there, and it was fifteen or twenty minutes. I just kind of stayed with him and got him calmed back down. And I came back down, and I said, All right, we're ready to go. Let's go. And I was happy. And she said, You know what, Kyle? That's not healthy. I said, What do you mean it's not healthy? She said, I can tell you're suppressing your anger. I said, no, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not angry. And she said, how can you? Aren't you exhausted? I said, no. She said, you just went up there and hit all the meltdown. It's been about 20 minutes. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I, I got a system. <laughs> and she said, 
what is it? <laughs> and at that moment, I said, let me tell you about APWEC, right? And she was like, wow, that you're really not angry. I said, no, I'm not angry. I feel like the greatest dad in the world. I just helped my son through a difficult moment. And now we can go, right? Well, the interesting thing is we go to the park and he had a situation at the park. And I ran over there and I APWACed him, right? APWACed. I ran. I said, I got this, Shelly. I ran over there. I assumed he was going to have a, a difficult situation. I prepared myself mentally and physically. I won through kindness and patience and love. I had energy and I endured that. And then I celebrated and I came back over to her and she was talking to a couple of other parents and she was telling them about what was happening. She was saying, you know what? My son is on the autism spectrum. He's having, he's having some difficulties. My, my husband's over there managing it so he can get back to normal. And, and it was what I called autism awareness, right? She had a chance to explain to people kind of his situation kind of how we have to manage it and what we did. And it was so exciting. That's autism awareness, right? When you're, when you're out there doing those things and you get to share your lives in a way that is not scary and they don't stare, right? Although some people are staring. I didn't care. I don't care about them. I care about my son, right? AFLAC, like the insurance. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, but it's APWEC, A-P-W-E-C. And and it, and it changed our lives, right? We got to where we started appwecking him all the time, right? We'd go to the, we'd go to the grocery store. And if he had difficulties, we'd appweck him, right? We'd go to the park. We'd go to friends' houses. And we get to share with him what was going on. And we'd, we'd even share up front, hey, our son is on the autism spectrum. He's more severe. Sometimes he has difficulties. If he does, we'll go right to work and we'll manage that. And it lowered my stress because I wasn't fighting and angry and discouraged and frustrated, right? I was happy. I was feeling like the greatest parent in the world. And my wife started doing it. I'll never forget one day my wife decided to take the kids to the movies without me, which was risky. Remember, we got six of them. At the time, I think we only had four, though. He was a little younger. And she told me she's going to take him to the movies. I get home and she had the biggest grin of my wife on her face. And she said, you'll never believe what happened. I said, did he have a difficulty at the movie? She said, yeah, he did. And she was laughing about it. I said, what happened? She said, well, during the previews, there was a lot of flashing lights and he got overstimulated. He started screaming and he ran out of the theater. She said, so I chased him out into the hall and I sat down next to him and I applied him. <laughs> I said, you did what? She said, yeah, I assumed it was, he was going to have difficulties. I prepared myself mentally and physically. I won the encounter through kindness and love and patience. I endured and had energy because I wasn't angry or frustrated or discouraged. I stayed with him, right? And I celebrated when I was done. When I walked him back into the, to the movie theater and we watched the movie together, I was like, yes, that's right. I'm the greatest mom in the world, right? And she celebrated, right? And here's what was really cool is when he was out in the hall screaming, she said people were staring. And she said to them in this moment, hey, listen, if you'll give me a few minutes, I'll explain to you what's happening. And people were curious, right? People don't stare because they're trying to be mean. They're, they just don't know what's happening. They're curious. They, What the heck is going on over there, right? Things happen. And we look. When we see something out of the, out of the ordinary, we look. And so my wife was able to, when once she walked it back in, she peeked back out. And they were still there. And she said, hey, let me tell you what happened. And did more autism awareness, right? And And told these people about our situation. So what a great thing that was, right? So a couple of things that, you know what, they 
Eric is saying they probably didn't know he had autism. He's right. Nobody, you can't look and see autism, right? They didn't know, right? But she did get a chance to tell them this is what can happen in these situations. We manage it in a certain way. And she felt great about the experience, right? So now what I do, I've only got four minutes left of my hour. So I want to share something with you guys. Currently, I am in the middle of a five-day training with a Facebook group that I run called The Autism. Is this going to be backwards? That's right. You'll have to figure this out. You're smart. Autism Thriving Chaos Facebook group. And right now, we're in day three, Wednesday, of solving at-home autism challenges. Now, in solving at-home autism challenges, what I want you to do, if you're interested in this, is go to Autism Thriving Chaos Facebook group and join today. If you join, I'll, I'll send you a copy of the replays of Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We'll be going live tomorrow at 11, uh, 11 a.m. Mountain Time uh, for day four of solving at-home autism challenges, where I share this framework. I share... Um, a lot of the strategies, including the one I just shared with you, APWAC. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be sharing a pretty powerful strategy as well. But really, the idea for me now is to is to teach parents how to get trained, make one good decision, and don't freak out. And I promise you, this formula has changed our family. It's changed hundreds of families uh, across the world. I, I've had some clients in Sydney. I've had clients everywhere. But this training I'm doing is a completely free training. Join us and you can get the same information that I'm going to be sharing. Uh, it's one hour. It's 45 minutes a day with a Q&A at the end. My, I am driven now. Now that my family is in good shape, right? Now that my family thrives, uh, you're going to laugh at this, but I, I went on at what, uh, at midnight uh, mountain time. And my son and his wife and all my kids were up with me just now. <laughs> Having fun until five minutes before I hopped on here, right? They just left because it's who we are, right? We're a happy family. If that's what you want, if you're struggling at all, if you're having at-home autism challenges, I challenge you. It's going to take work, right? But I want to share with you what we did and give you the framework we use, the recipe, the blueprint, so to speak, to solving your at-home autism challenges. It includes that framework I taught you earlier. Um, where you can create your own strategies, right? Every family is unique. Every family is different. But if you create your own strategies specific to you, I can, we can start with basic principles that you can use. And then you can fill in the gaps. And really the key to this thing is test, 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 right? When you develop a strategy, uh, my APWEC started out completely different. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. What I got to with APWEC is what works for us and our family. And it works every time. And what it's allowed us to do is create a world where they can thrive. My more severe son on the spectrum now, not only can he go places by himself and regulate himself if he feels those things, he's got a debit card that we put money on. He goes and buys pizza on his own. They know him over there. He goes to the movies on his own. He'll ride his bike all over the place. He has complete freedom because we have taught him these things and modeled, lowered stress in our home and then modeled the kind of behavior that he can use out in the real world. You know, our goal is to make them, to help them to become as functional as they can in society. And this is how we've decided to do it. So I have one minute left. Let me let me tell you that again. Facebook page is Autism Thriving Chaos Group. 
uh, go there and join. It's free. It's just a group. I post videos all the time. I write articles. I share techniques. I share strategies. My mission, my mission now is to see other families thrive, to see you overcome and solve those at-home autism challenges so that you can create a world where your child on the spectrum can thrive, your typical kids can thrive, your relationship with your spouse. If you're a single parent like I am, you need this stuff because you need the lower stress. You need that that help. So that is uh, that is my time. I think I'm all done here. But uh, if you have any questions, Eric uh, had a couple of thoughts here. And it is like AFLAC. Yeah, just like the duck. APWAC. But it's now 1 a.m. here in Boise, Idaho, where I live. And I believe my time is up. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.